boy, I love that music because every time I hear it, it tells me that it's another episode of Your Money in 20 podcast from Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm Ben Birkin, Certified Financial Planner and Lead Advisor at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm joined uh, after a brief hiatus from the podcast by Victor Colella, also Woodward Financial Advisors. Victor, how are you doing? It's been a tough, long couple of months since I've been in the recording studio. Well, my spare bedroom with my mic, but you know, uh, I've missed it. Glad to be back. Well, the podcast is happy to have you back. We are recording this in the deep recesses of the last week or so of 2020, even though we know that this podcast isn't going to drop and be in people's ears until 2021 when the calendar is going to flip and everything's going to be fine again. Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sure. We'll go with that. So, you know, if we make reference to a holiday that seems like has already happened in the past, no, we did not somehow get time travel for Christmas. It's just recording this before and dropping it after. So I think, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, never mind. uh, (laughs) It was going to be a time travel joke that we really didn't want to go down that path. So. That, you know, the beautiful part about time travel jokes is that we can just go back in time and erase them. <laughs> so, never happened. Uh, we're doing the third and maybe final, but um, uh, one of the last renditions of the Woodward Financial Advisors Book Club. We've done those the past couple, and I think we've gotten some really good recommendations from the folks at Woodward Financial. But today, uh, Victor and I are going to talk about our recommendations for the Woodward, Woodward Financial Advisors Book Club. Um, I'm going to talk to Victor about his first, and he's going to talk to me about mine. But Victor, let's just get into it. What book did you bring to the table? So the book that I brought is called The Behavior Gap by a guy named Carl Richards. Um, It's been out for a while. It's not new, uh, unlike when we go down the path of your book here, Ben. But um, one of my absolute favorites and one of the first books I read on this sort of topic coming into this industry. So. Definitely near and dear to my own heart. How did you first hear about it? So this concept of the behavior gap, um, basically, it's worth explaining just briefly, and I'll get into more of it, but it's this idea that there's a difference between investment returns. So what was the return on so-and-so mutual fund last year and investor returns? So what has your return actually been as an investor in that mutual fund? And spoiler alert, the investment usually does much better than the investor because we have all sorts of uh, tendencies that make us bad at this as humans. So I first heard of this at my first job in this business, which was at New York Life uh, at an insurance company talking about this difference between investment returns and investor returns and the value of an advisor in that context. But I kept hearing about it in the context of, uh, you know, as advisors, we talk about our value maybe being coaching, so behavior coaching. Uh, we've seen this stuff a bunch of times, so maybe helping our clients not make those decisions that lead to the behavior gap. So I heard about it in a lot of different contexts, but the first time was really my first year in the business. Hmm. Um, and tell us a little bit about Carl. He's, a, he's an interesting character. He is. Yeah, so Carl Richards, uh, he's one of those rare folks who speaks well to multiple audiences. So as an advisor, Carl Richards is well known to other advisors, but also uh, to you know regular folks who aren't in this business. So Carl Richards is a certified financial planner, which for us means uh, he's 
he knows what he's talking about in terms of the credential that we all we all have as advisors at Woodward. Uh, but he's also he was he sort of made his name as the New York Times sketch guy. So he I think he did a, it was a weekly column in the New York Times where he would do a sketch about financial topics on a napkin. And that was it. Uh, so always has had a knack for well, both drawing, which I don't share that particular knack, but simplifying things to into sort of this visual this visual context, which has made him uh, fairly well known. So um, we obviously can't go into every single page or every single sketch because talking about a sketch on a podcast loses a little bit, <laughs> not a visual medium. But uh, talk about you know the broad summary and your main takeaways from the book. Yeah, so in my mind, there's there are two two major parts to this book. So one is a is a big fat dose dose of self awareness. Uh, and, and what what Carl tries to do is break down. So this behavior gap, it, it, it points to there's a problem with how humans interact with money. And then he tries to explain why that problem exists. So what psychological triggers make us bad at making investment decisions? So uh, the first part is the diagnosis. So the behavior gap, meaning you know, it's, it's hard for us to be long-term focused. We listen to what the financial news media says. We have this bias towards action when sometimes the right thing to do is absolutely nothing. Um, and, and really, we, we focus on the wrong things. We focus on what was your return on your portfolio this year instead of what are your financial goals uh, and how decisions should be made relative to financial goals relative to what's happening in the markets and in the news, et cetera. So the diagnosis is the first part. And the sec the second part of it really has to do with okay, then what should I focus on and what should I ignore? So it, it's sort of the 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 prescription, which is you focus on what you want to do in your life. So what leads to happiness, not just the highest account value. It talks about fi- what a financial plan actually might look like instead of sort of the ambiguous financial planning. It talks about goals. Talks about Things that you could ignore, like the financial media, uh, most of the financial news media. Um, Sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah, really. And and what I really like is that he addresses some of the reasons why we hate talking about money. So, so smart people who have their lives very much together can ignore money topics for their entire lives. And I don't just mean how much is in the accounts and what investments do we buy, but you know, what association, what relationships do we have with money? What does it bring up from sort of an emotional standpoint? Why do we avoid it? Um, so lots of stuff in here, but um, it really, it's, it's, it's a good one in my opinion. So what do you think was the favorite, your favorite part or the part that maybe resonated most to you? I, I like Carl's knack for making complicated things simple. I mean, this has been how he's made his niche in the world, right? With the sketch guy columns. They were these very simple sketches, but really I, I think there are books out there that are telling you how to solve a problem. And then there are books out there that help you figure out what problems you should actually be solving. And, and I think this, this one does a little bit of both, but I think the real value in it is 
if you if you watch the news or, or just the general culture around investments and financial decision making out there, it leads you down a lot of wrong paths. And this book is a really good way to clarify. And it may not tell you the answer to what to do necessarily, but it certainly clarifies what you should be focusing on. And I think for a lot of folks, that's a really good starting point. Um, yeah. Uh, so it sort of helps like you that. weed out some of the noise. That's my favorite part. Yeah. Do you have any uh, quibbles or criticisms? Something that maybe rubbed you the wrong way or that you found lacking? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, just say that one book can't do everything. Sure. And I think this book has a lot of diagnosis of the problem and a lot of telling you what to focus on, what not to do. It talks about how we, we just naturally do the wrong things. But I, I don't think you walk away from the, reading this book saying, I know exactly what to do now. Hmm. It, it equips you to do further research into, you know, okay, if I need to do a financial plan or if I need to focus on the right things, now I, now I know where to do my additional research. And, and Carl, uh, he wrote another book called The One Page Financial Plan, which I think tries to do that. Um, also, one that I would recommend. But you don't walk away from this knowing exactly what to do. You certainly walk away knowing where to focus. And, and so it, it falls a little short in the uh, in the prescription side of the equation, I think. It's interesting. And I think there's going to be some tie-ins when I talk about my book. But before we get to that, um, you know, we, we toyed with the idea of trying to get folks on the podcast to do like a Twitter-length review of the book. And I don't know that anybody up to now has really been able to do, you know, 250 characters, but you said you wanted to give it a shot. So here's the platform. <laughs> Tweet away. Don't count these characters. Uh, I, I think it's close. But some my, my review starts now. Some books solve problems. Some books help you understand what problems are important. And this book does a little bit of both. That's good. That's good. Uh, we'll leave it to the universe to count the characters. But in my, uh, in my uneducated, because I wasn't counting, I think, that, I think that flies. I think I made it. Yeah, I think that flies. Very cool. Well, thank you. Um, so let's turn the tables around. I'll hand over the metaphorical microphone to you and we'll switch, switch seats and um, let's go. All right, Ben. Yes. My first question is, what book have you chosen to review today? I appreciate you asking. I am reviewing and talking about The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. So unlike your book, this is a new book. This came out just this year in 2020. Um, Morgan's an interesting character as well. He actually started out as an investment banker and realized that he did not like that um, and very quickly and successfully pivoted to being an investment writer. So he, for a long time, worked as a columnist with The Motley Fool. Um, I don't know how many folks are still familiar with that, but it was really big, late 90s, early 2000s, and he was a big part of that. He wrote a column for The Wall Street Journal, and he's now working as a partner at the Collaborative Fund, continuing to write um, He's a two-time winner of the Best in Business Award from the Society of American Business Editors and Writers. And he's one of those folks that certainly within the financial industry, people look to him as being one of the best, most clear writers about complex topics that's out there right now. Um, I've followed him for a while. Yeah. I mean, again, folks in the industry know him really well. Some folks outside might get to know him a little bit, but he's the one that, at least internally, we point to his writing and his style and his ability to break down complex concepts as a let's emulate that if we can don't copy, but you know, emulate him really well. I heard about the book because I follow him on Twitter 
And so do a lot of other folks. And so when he said, hey, this is coming out, like a lot of folks jumped on the pre-order to the point where it sold out and they had to do, you know, more uh, available copies for folks to buy on Amazon. So yeah. you don't usually see that for a finance book. Um, not really the hot movers unless it's a, here's how you get rich in one and a half easy steps. Uh, and this is not that. Um, well, yeah, let, let me let me stop you there. I, I know there's a lot in this book. It's a broad topic, but if you were to give, I'm not going to say broad summary because that would be impossible, but some, some of your favorite takeaways, your main takeaways from the book. Sure. And I, yeah. And I appreciate, you know, this is a hard book to summarize, summarize other than just saying like your brain is messed up and it's not well suited to be a financial engine, but the way that he's put it together, there are technically 20 chapters, 19 of which are more applicable. The 20th is his confessions about how he handles his own money, but there's no necessarily like consistent theme other than the psychology of money, right? There are 19 individual chapters that can be read on their own and don't necessarily need to reference something earlier or later in the book. And some are really long and some are just a couple of pages. So it's unique in that sense. Um, I can't of course go into all 19, but you know, some of the things that resonate with me are, this concept of financial outcomes are probably way more affiliated with luck than they are with skill, um, which is something I think that Carl talks about quite a bit because it's a behavior thing, right? It's We have this concept of finance being spreadsheets and math and formulas because that's easy to write about and looks really cool. But at the end of the day, it's mostly our behavior that determines whether we're financially successful or not, as well as just being in the right place at the right time which is not something that very many people give credence to. You know, we have the stories about family members who are quote unquote, great stock pickers. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, or maybe they just happened to buy stocks 50 years ago that turned out really well and they just didn't do anything. Does that mean they were great stock pickers or were they in the right place, right time at the beginning of one of the biggest bull markets ever? We don't know. Um, But we're more, programmed to find the success in the in the spreadsheet model right um nothing is as good or as bad as it seems both with luck and with risk um rich people do crazy things well he has this really one thing really good point too which is people do crazy things with money but no one is crazy right everybody's decision makes sense to them in the moment you can never recreate the fear of stuff that happened when you weren't there it's like the great depression none of us right now really lived through it we look back on it as a math problem and say, well, really been really good to buy stocks in the late thirties. Um, but we weren't there. And so like the decisions of folks who lived through that, we have to look at it through that lens to really get a better context for how they might operate now. Well, and that's, I love, I love that one because being in this business, you realize that there's not a clear connection between how people make decisions about money and how they make decisions in every other part of their life. Uh, Very much so. Yeah. To- we see that all the time and it's just all the time. Yep. Uh, he talks about the difference between getting wealthy versus staying wealthy. You know, so there's a time to embrace risk, but there's also a time to realize this isn't his phrase. It's somebody else's, but you know, when you've won the game, do you really need to continue playing? Um, having a survival mindset. So, you know, embracing margins of error and, um, you know, plan on the plan, not agor- going according to plan. Right. I love that because it, again, takes this concept of here's your financial plan and it's very linear and you're going to get 6% per year and everything's going to be fine when the world does not work that way. 
right? We know the world doesn't work that way, and yet that's how planning is oriented. Um, talks about a few other things that actually have come up both in, I think, Joe's book about the retirement mentality and Ronnie's book, Happy Money, about freedom, controlling your time is probably one of the highest dividend-paying things that you can do, and using money to free your time is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal return that you don't see in numbers, but you do see in life. Yeah, there, um, let, let me just. There is another yeah. book called The Paradox of Choice, that's one of my favorites. That that talks about, you know, you always think more money means more choices, so you're going to be happier. But yeah. it, one of the things that shake out of that book, and it's a study that backs it up, is exactly what you just said, which is time equals happiness more than anything. Very much so. Um, he's got one that really resonates with I think folks who are in this concept of. I'm going to use a jargony term, but efficient markets and rationality. But he says reasonable is better than rational. So it's more realistic and it's easier to stick to something that's reasonable than something that is coldly rational, right? Finance tends to want to seek the optimal, right? The best portfolio, the best allocation. When in reality, like you don't need that to win. You just need something that's pretty good, right? Um, You know, there's this big push for folks in the finance industry to study history, and yet history is a study of surprises. So you, how do you really take that and apply it to the world that hasn't happened yet? You, you can't really. And yet we sort of tend to do that. And then the last one that I'll leave on, again, there's more in here, but it's just he's got a brief chapter called The Seduction of Pessimism, right? Where pessimism sounds smarter and it's intellectually captivating. Optimism sounds a little like, yeah, that's funny, but like that can't happen. And he had this one quote that I just thought was too good to not share, which is progress happens too slowly to notice, but setbacks happen too quickly to ignore. And so we tend to lean towards pessimism when in reality, optimism is probably the better long-term bet for most folks because over broad strokes of time, things tend to get better. Um, Yeah. Watch, watch the, watch CNBC for that one. There's always somebody at the table who's, who's just saying it's all going to burn down. And it's always entertaining to have that person at the table, but absolutely, it's not entertaining to have the person say like, "Yeah, things are probably going to be okay." Yeah. Okay, go to commercial. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's not, just not compelling television. Or the natural response is, "Tell us why." Yeah. Well, you can't prove it. Yeah. And, and that's, I don't know why, just because things probably get better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right, again, you, that's a lot. But do you have any quibbles before we wrap up? Yeah, the only quibble, and it's a minor one, is he wrote this intended for a lay audience, but there are things in here, and I'm going to admit my bias, that an advisor can help with, right? So, you know, not straying too far, you know, emphasizing margins of error and safety and, you know, not going to the extremes of planning. I think there's a role for an advisor in that, but that's really the only quibble. I think folks should run out and buy this book, anybody, in or outside of finance, because there's so many helpful things in it. Great. Two, stop, two, uh, two thumbs up, four gold stars. Out of how many gold stars? Three. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Better than I thought. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, uh, over the course of these three podcasts, we've really shared these books. We hope folks like them. Uh, if you like the podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple so that other folks can find us. You can follow us on social media. I'm at WFA underscore Ben, Vix at WFA underscore Victor. Um, We hope everybody's had a good and safe holiday season, and we look forward to talking to everybody in 2021. Thanks for listening.